0: You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts and connect with us on social media. This episode is about creativity. What is creativity? What makes art art. And what about creativity and healing, or the healing arts? Also, we talk a little bit about Burning Man, and Carlos breaks down the idea of perceptual positions, which sounds kind of dry and boring, but which is actually really fascinating and very useful in everyday life. So let's get going.
1: So Carlos, you um, uh, were preparing for a presentation that you gave and uh, you and I were, were talking about your plans mm-hmm. uh, on the phone the other day. And uh, I really liked uh, some of the things that we had talked about. And I liked uh, some of your ideas about how you were going to present some, um, some issues around the ideas of creativity, specifically when uh, creativity can start to get to the point where it starts to feel like a loss. Like, like you're not... Mm. You know like sort of sort of like you' um you create something and then it goes nowhere, and there's a disappointment in that, you know and yeah. anyways it got it got me thinking about um the different the different faces of creativity, right
2: yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of um having your heart set on somebody who who rejects you or isn't interested, you know yeah, or you know something that seems like it is mutual and then you find out that um, maybe they don't feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do with all that buildup, all that energy, everything that you've you've thought about doing with them and all the things you wanted to share with them and uh, your memories of all the things that you've built with them up to that point? There becomes a mismatch between what you are holding inside of your consciousness, what your your mind is, and then there's this, uh, external reality which seems to be you know at a huge difference with
1: yeah yeah
2: your inner picture so so for yeah. creative to spend months and months and months or or you know lots of labor sweat tears blood money you know mobilizing things to to you know to move mountains as it were and then to have the people who you would ultimately be selling it to or who would give it the A-OK or the, mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah. sorry, eh. um, Those people can sometimes also be like that lover that rejects you because then yeah. all that energy that you put into that
1: project is now seemingly going down the drain. Yeah, it's kind of like um, creativity by itself is this pure, beautiful thing, but then we start to infuse hope into it yeah and and the hope can kind of make the creativity or the thing that you're creating become something else than what it originally was supposed to be you know and i'm getting pictures of um, you know artists like vincent van gogh right Mm -hmm. who created this stuff you know this created these pieces and kept meeting disappointment for the most part right Mm -hmm. and it's only later that that people appreciate what he did right but what is it about that that quality that is sort of a prerequisite for art where mm. um you're supposed to do the art simply for the sake of the art and if you have some intentions behind it like to sell a piece and to make money to become famous then somehow it's tainted it's kind of a it's kind of a, a theme in 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 the artistic world to talk about that
2: yeah uh, interestingly enough the motto for what is it? Twentieth Century Fox is "Ars Gratia Artis," and in Latin that means "art for the sake of art."
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And I think it's either that or MGM. I can't remember what which major movie house it was, but it's it's been their motto for a long time. So yeah. at the beginning of those old black and white movies, you'd see, um, you know, that little Latin phrase. Mm-hmm. And for a religious person, you know, that sounds. Blasphemous you can 't make art for the sake of art. it has to be for for the divine
0: mm.
2: but then when we think of Hollywood, it doesn 't usually cause us to picture divine things. We think about money, we think about commercialism, we think yeah. about uh, gratuitous sex and violence, we think about yeah. um, you know mindless stuff, and then also the things that pull us out and bring us into. Um, another reality, the things that we like there mm-hmm. are the genres and the examples that that pull us into another world, and we like that, but there is this other side there 's the commercial side of it, yeah. which is huge, really, and that side of it, for those of us who are appreciating the art, I think most of us would would recoil in disgust, yeah, just seeing what goes on to make a film, to promote a film and to, um, you know,
1: as it goes through the test of time and all the changes it goes through after that. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of, you kind of come to the conclusion that there's all these outside forces that are trying to ruin the art. Yeah. Micromanage the art. Yeah. You know, put a timeline on that art like that. This album better be done by fall, you know, <laughs> you know, or, or whatever, whatever the executives, you know, are, are demanding, you know, um, and how many bands, broke up because of the business side of art Mm -hmm. right so it's an interesting thing to look at because um there's there's art that is successful right and then that implies that there is art that is unsuccessful yet art isn't supposed to be unsuccessful it's supposed to be itself it's supposed to be art it's expression yeah yeah um so, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun topic for you and I to jump into yeah. because what we do, we do a lot of creative things, mm-hmm. right? Um, the show, for example, right? We, we always say this show for us is art. Yeah. Right. Don't we always say that? Yeah. Um, and, uh, that usually comes up when somebody says, Hey, you making any money off the show? It's like, well, <laughs> we're not closed to making money off the show, but the, the show is art for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, we just keep doing shows because we just enjoy doing this, you know?
2: Yeah, and, and it, isn't, it isn't always like uh, the measure of whether or not your art is, quote-unquote, good or bad. Um, and, and I think if the focus is on being good, the idea is that it's good for someone else rather than yeah. inherently good. Yes. But there's a little bit of a confusion in that, because people mix the idea of, of it being inherently good or intrinsically good versus getting the recognition of other people. Um, yeah, that other recognition can become posthumous. It can be uh, while you're doing it, or not happen at all. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the quality is bad or that the ideas were not interesting. I mean, just today I was I was on a uh, a I guess you could say it a, um, a rally of sorts okay. for a very large uh, Fortune 500 company that I was doing a, um, um, like a motivational talk for. And the person right before me was showing all of these projects that he did over the course of time from the very early days in his dip into advertising from art, from art to to advertising and advertising to marketing and and all that, and how his progression was over time. He had saved a lot of these projects, and Mm. so he created this whole presentation. It's just very interesting to see how many really good ideas didn't go anywhere because it didn't have the traction with the people listening. They said things like, oh, they're not ready for this, or it's too subtle, or... Um, yeah, there's just, just a lot of nuance in that and our audience isn't going to appreciate it,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: and the rest of us who are watching the presentation were just very wowed. We we're like, this is profound. Yeah. You know, why, 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 didn't, this why, take, why didn't it take off? Yeah. You know, so, so, um, being able to create for the sake of creating or to do art for the sake of art mm-hmm means having that mindset at the outset
0: mm-hmm. because
2: if you don't, if, if, if you're confused and you think that your art is only valuable if other people value it, mm-hmm. then you're likely to shift your motivation. I'm not saying you can't produce really, really amazing things for money.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Some people are really good at that and they have a knack for feeling what people want to hear or see or experience. Mm-hmm. That's its own skill. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're a better artist.
1: Yeah, correct. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, you know, business, for example, business is is business, and so the end goal of business is to come out with some mm. kind of gains, right? Gains mm. that will <coughs> give you some kind of resource that will be valuable in your life, mm. right? Um, and in art, I think it's really helpful to start with this idea that um, there's no goal at all, right? There's no goal to art. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I know some people are going, yeah, but when... uh," Hold on, hold on. (laughs) Go into it with this idea that there's there's nothing to be gained from it, right? It's just going to happen, right? Like, for example, today, my body and your body Mm -hmm. produced all kinds of skin cells and... heart cells and liver cells and we made all kinds of hormones and all this. And, 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 you know, we didn't get any awards and nobody's watching and, you know, um, we're not comparing how many testosterone particles did you make today? Right. We, we don't get together and compare our bodies just make these things because they make these things. Right. And it does end up leading to something. Right. But, it just kind of needs to happen on its own, mm-hmm. right? And I, I'm, I'm sort of wondering, like, how many, um, how many amazing trees or flowers are out there way deep in the woods that no human has ever seen, mm-hmm. right? Are those flowers and trees wasted? Because we didn't see them. Yeah, we didn't see them. So are they wasted, you know? Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so anyway, yeah. If a, I, if a tree isn't appreciated in the woods, does it exist?
1: Yeah, right, right. Or is it art? Yeah, maybe it's not art. Maybe it's just a tree, right? You know, if we, yeah, if, if we don't smell the fragrance of the rose, you know. Um,
2: yeah, well, you know where, where this can come into play, and I, I kind of was speaking about this earlier. Is that if you have creative people who then also do this for a living?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and their thing doesn't go through. Their motivation has been sapped. The wind is out of their sails, and they end up feeling. Um, it, often they report it, it's like, oh, I just, I'm stuck, right? I have like a block or mm-hmm. uh, or I just, I don't have anything more. I've given my all. Yeah. As if there's an end to the creative force There, there isn't, in mm-hmm. my opinion, it's more of um it's a state. Yeah. It's a state of flow. Yeah. And if you happen to have that state of flow developed as an artist, then that is one of the ways in which that flow will happen. Mm-hmm. Um but it is state dependent. And I think people don't, they don't often look or introspect to find out what that state is. And so they're kind of keeping their attention on things that might not be leading them to help, you know, become more creative. It's, it's what they're doing to survive and not to diminish the importance of that because you have to survive. But if your survival depends on being creative, then You need to really isolate what it is that is that creativity. Where where does that creativity stem from?
1: Mm. How do do you get into the state where you are creating? Yeah, yeah. You know, I I think, um, well, here's part of my answer for that, Mm. right? How do you get into that state where you are creating? And something that helps me at times, if I'm in a situation where, I sit down and I'm supposed to be creating something. Maybe I'm creating something for work, or maybe I just have an itch to sit down and create something, mm-hmm. I don't know, write a poem, or or or, 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 you know, something like that. If I feel blocked, if I feel uninspired, if I feel like I'm not coming up with anything, one of the things that's helpful for me is to do this, right? And I'll, I'll, I'll just sort of do it right now. Is, is like I'll kind of just freeze and I'll close my eyes and I'll feel my body and I'll listen to everything around me. And I just take a minute and realize that I myself am the process of creation happening, right? Because I mean, if you're alive and you're sitting in a body and you're thinking, then you are part of the part, you you are part of the universe that has been created. Mm -hmm. You're continuously creating yourself. So stop trying to create and just realize that you are participating in creation itself. And you could just go to sleep and take a nap, and you're still part of creation. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that that sometimes helps me if, if I'm if I'm um, feeling like I'm not producing. So you become very very present.
2: Uh, you 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 attend to your present awareness with the presupposition that you are. Um, part of a creative process already Yeah, you're you're a, a inexorable sort of um, participant in that you're you're, you're you're just you are creation and you are yeah. creating yeah. and then somehow um, allowing that to exist in your consciousness in the background somehow maybe stimulates you to trust your flow and you tap into something maybe you follow an idea you get an urge or you get a compulsion to to to, to see something um and then you do it, and then the result, end result is that creative thing, whether it's a yeah. a line of poetry or a drawing or a few notes on a guitar.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, I think sometimes when we start to um, get into our internal dialogue mm-hmm. and we say things like, or, or we often hear this from people, right? You know, I'm not very creative or yeah. I'm not the creative type. Yeah. And I think, hold on, hold on, just acknowledge for a second that you are creation itself. Mm -hmm. So just lean on that for a minute and relax into that and let that kind of, kind of recalibrate where you're coming from. And then it almost becomes inevitable that you're about to create something because (laughs) um, how could you, you are the wellspring of creation in a sense. Well, and, and
2: real tangibly, I mean, you just telling me that you're not creative has created an idea in my head, hasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't there before you said it. There you go.
1: Yeah. we made. Something. I couldn't
2: have thought of it because I, I wasn't, that didn't cross my mind at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I thought you were creative. So you even saying that, mm-hmm. is, in NLP, we say you cannot not communicate.
1: That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. You cannot not It's a double negative, but it's true. Everything is a communication, including silence. Totally, yeah. So
2: it's not a question of whether you are a creative.
1: Yeah. You know, Carlos, I'm I'm looking at your eyes right now. Mm -hmm. Nice color. Did you make that yourself? I did. Beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. I noticed you went with kind of the more um, uh, black pigment in your hair. I went with more of the brown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You like how I did that? I did. Yeah, yeah. I did that myself. It's a, a very specific to you. As well. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's it's, it's very neat. Um, I take up space in a very particular shape, right? And you take up space in a very particular shape, and the mm-hmm. the two shapes are similar, but not to be confused with one another, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And um, uh, and and we did that ourselves, and nobody even had to give us any lessons. We just did it. We're
2: unconsciously competent.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. At right. At being us. Yeah. And you know, um, uh, for anybody listening this they won't be able to see what i'm about to point to but on the video you know we're, we're in uh, a room in my home and uh, we had this little little tapestry which was but by the way this is if this is the tree of life and i'll tell you what i love about this little 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 piece of art is if you look at each individual piece it's not very good <laughs> right i'm like there's birds and there's flowers and there's leaves and it's like some of those are some some pretty poor looking birds right like like i i look at it and i'm like those flowers are so simple it's it's the tree of life and this was like ten dollars or something on amazon that i got Mm -hmm. and i look at all these individual pieces and none of none of the drawings are particularly that great but yet you put it all together and it's kind of phenomenal it is and um, I, I think the lesson there is is when you keep creating, as you s- step back from it and look at it with some space, um, it actually st- always starts to come together. Do your work and walk away. Yeah. on 101,
2: right? Yeah. Do the work and walk away. Take no credit. hmm Yeah. Uh, you do things for their own sake, for the intrinsic value of it, rather than... Bargaining with something else yeah. in your mind or with someone else. Yeah. Um, reminds me of uh, the Taiji teacher that we had that said, don't try to be good. Don't try to make your teacher happy. Mm. Just ask the question, what is Tai Chi? Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. You know, as you're practicing. So, you know, if you're, if you're creating art, then we're really all pointing towards this this thing, this, uh, this, this quality, it's not a thing, this quality of, um, of feeling creative, of doing creative things, of, uh, sensing a creative flow and expressing that creativity, whatever that is, that's a state. Yeah. And, uh, trusting that the state itself is all that you need in order to feel driven to create,
1: hmm. Yeah, well said. Well you know said. what I mean? It's, yeah. it's circular
2: in its yeah. logic, but it's true because uh, if you feel like you gravitate towards wanting to create things and you have begun to hone a skill like drawing or music or writing or dance or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. then you've already carved that pathway and you will feel ebbs and flow in the pulse the rhythm of life, right, moving through you that causes you to want to create. There'll be moments when you don't feel like creating. But it's not really dependent on outside things. It's something else that each artist has to discover for themselves. But the quickest way is to continue to realize that you can literally create for its own sake, just to be creative. Yeah. And anything else, any other motivation is unrelated to creating. It might be related to making money. It might be related to having fame. It might be related to, you know, some other thing. But it's not, the creation.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So can you be authentic as you move forward and you know be the artist that you are, and still make a good living? Focus on you know, putting a roof over your head and 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 all the things that need to happen does it automatically mean that you have to lose your authenticity just because you're making mm-hmm. a lot of money for something?
1: Yeah. I yeah. don't think so.
2: Yeah, you know. It's not connected.
1: Um, so something I remember from um, watching Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. something that Tyrion Lannister had said to a young Jon Snow. Um, he was talking about, it was, it was the scene where they first met, and and he kept referring to him as, as Bostad. And he said something along the lines of always remember who you are bastard and nobody can use it against you, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, if we are creating something, even creating your own little life as boring as it might seem, Mm -hmm. right? Um, remember that you're creating your boring little life. I create boredom all the time. (laughs) I'm really good at creating boredom. Um, remember who you are. You are the one creating that. And that can never be used against you. And as soon as we forget that we are the, the one creating the things in our lives, funny enough, not only can others use it against us, but we start using it against ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we do that all the time. You know? Oh, my idea is fizzling out and I'm not making money. Or my, I, I created something and nobody seemed to really care. You know? I made a Facebook post and, and I only got three acknowledgements from it. <laughs> That's kind of disappointment. It's like we're already, you know, um, forgetting who we are when we Mm -hmm. made it. You don't post anything without any other reason except because you felt like it. Mm -hmm. It was fun to post it, you know?
2: Back in 1993, you're reminding me, um, there was this group called... The Cacophony Society and, and they may still be around I don't know I lost touch with all of that But they had this event Prior to this That was something called uh, The Kill Your TV event okay. And they um, Would get a television And they would do this kind of uh, Quasi-occult ritual around it And smash the TV and destroy it okay. um, And It was a big dramatic kind of thing that people joined in on and it was okay. done in somewhere up I think up in Marin maybe okay. at the beach or something but um, i believe they're connected to that very large event that happens every single year in the Black Rock Desert the okay. one that happens in August oh ah, yes like the one that you know many 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 people go to yes uh, they dress up and they 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 create whole villages it's like a self-sustaining little village or something yeah. and um for me it was 1993 and I was in the middle of Black Rock Desert which I've never been to up to that point. I was probably I don't know 18 or 21, probably 18 actually mm-hmm. now that sure. I think of it. And there were 300 of us. So there were 300 of us in 300 of us in the desert dressed up with you know very limited things some tents mm-hmm. and some trucks and so forth. Uh, there was one fellow that flew in on a little biplane. Okay. Another person that came in on a little helicopter or something, tiny one. Yeah. And there was this giant effigy of a human being. So for those who are in the know, of course we are talking about the burning man festival. And for those who don't know, we are still talking about the burning man, festival. but the burning man festival is a gathering of people out in the middle of the desert, uh, And there's a giant effigy of a human being kind of modeled after the ancient Celtic um, rituals that would happen. Um, Yeah.
1: I'm picturing the Wicker Man. Yeah, Yeah. just like the movie The Wicker
2: Man. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They would have these big giant wicker men, and they would fill them with livestock and sometimes humans Mm. uh, and burn them and offer them to the gods. uh, And that was when the going was tough when the going was not so tough. They would just offer fruits and vegetables and, Mm -hmm. you know, the fruits of the field, so to speak. Yeah. Well, when I was there, I remember them doing so much. uh, They made so much effort building and getting the details right. And it seemed like an awful lot of work. And then at the culmination of the ritual, of course, they set it ablaze. Yeah. And it is really beautiful. Uh, you know, stark against the you know, purple cloak of night behind it and you know, just the, the flickering faces of all of us dancing around the fire mm. and you know, in awe. Um, and then, of course, as it became a pile of dust, really ashes, slowly through the night, there were different phases. Music would change uh, at some point we would ha- leap over the flames, and that was kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there might have been some altered states involved, um,
1: perhaps quite a lot.
0: Yeah.
2: And it felt as though time had you, you'd gone back into some ancient time. Yeah. I mean all, all around you is the Black Rock desert, mountains in the distance. there's really not much other than this really profoundly theatrical experience. And it was hypnotic. Mm. Uh, It was deeply entrancing and powerful. But what what I want to remark about is that in spite of all that energy, all that effort, they essentially, quote-unquote, destroyed the very thing that they put so much effort in making. Yeah. It's almost like the point of it was to destroy it. Yeah. But if we switch that thinking around to the idea that we have from physics. Of course, you have the law of entropy, mm-hmm. but then there's the other law that energy cannot be destroyed yeah. or created. Yeah, That it can only be transformed. So it can change shape, it can change qualities, it can separate, it can do all these different things, but you don't really destroy it. So maybe the energy that people were living off of that experience, the energy that I felt from that, wasn't that we were destroying something, is that we were watching a transformation and that transformation that we were watching was deeply resonated with, so that we felt that we were resonating with that change. So as that happened, it was a magical act. We were doing this ritual, it had a symbolic importance to us. It was projected onto the experience. The experience happens. And of course, our consciousness changed right along at the same moment. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was a great example of the creative energy. Yeah. And how you don't really lose it. No matter whether you work really hard it, yeah. and and you try your best and they 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 reject it, or or that partner that you'd like to have rejects you. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really wasted, but one could be forgiven for thinking that because that's that's a very common Mm. way of looking at it. But it doesn't really happen that way.
1: Mm. Yeah, the energy isn't wasted, right? Um, You know, the creative process um, is energizing. Mm -hmm. The creative process um, is relaxing, even when you're working hard at it. It's relaxing. You know, and um, the creative process is healing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just think about it. You cut your arm, and you heal that cut by creating new <laughs> tissue, right? So, like, creating is healing, mm-hmm. right? And um, uh, th- there are there are professions that do this on purpose. Art therapists, for example, understand that there is a healing quality in art Mm -hmm. that's worth harnessing and you can study it and you can organize it and you can figure out what situations are more likely to enhance certain kinds of healing, you know, when you do art Mm. and, um, uh, in my profession, occupational therapy, uh, we use creativity all the time to create healing and i I, I like you know i I love this description that you gave about about the burning man festival and they build this thing only to light it on fire and turn it to ash Mm -hmm. right and the process of doing it as you just described you know was very much a healing process among many other things but one of those things is, is it's a healing process and uh I know I've shared some of this research with you before, but, but you got me thinking about, about some interesting studies that have been done um, that I think if you step back and look at it, they're really showing how creativity changes this manifested world that we live in. Okay. And so, so here's, here's one. This is a very simple one. Uh, they took a bunch of elderly folks and they had them sit in chairs and do knee extensions, mm-hmm. okay? Knee exercises, straighten your knee, put your knee back down, straighten your knee, okay? And we're gonna, we're gonna count them out, one, two, right? Up to, you know, however many they could do. And they were paying close attention to how many knee extensions these elderly folks could do on average. Mm-hmm. And they, they logged it. Then, in, in, in the other group, Um, And I forget it's been so long. I don't know if they used a balloon or a ball or whatever it was. And they just had them kicking the ball or the balloon. So it's the same motion, right? It's still extension of the knee, Mm -hmm. still firing the quadriceps and, you know, and all that. And they found that when they're kicking the ball or kicking the balloon, they were quite literally able to do like I mean, I forget what the number was, but like, like 10 times as many wow. knee extensions when they're kicking the ball as wow. when we call it an exercise. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you call it an exercise, it's not creative, right? But when you're calling it a game, suddenly it's creative. And look what that did to their physiology. They had more endurance to keep going. Mm-hmm. They didn't fatigue, right? If that's not healing, then I don't know what is. Yeah. <laughs>
2: It's really amazing, um, that difference between when their attention is on doing an exercise versus just having fun. Just having fun, yeah, yeah. That's such a difference.
1: Yeah, um, and, it, and, and there's another study where, again, you know, it's been a long time since I've, I've read about these, so, so I'm, I'm, I might be missing a few pieces, but this is the gist of the study. Um, somehow they were, like, using, you know, some kind of EMG technology, and they're looking at, like, muscle fiber recruitment, when uh, people were doing different different activities. And so one of the things they did is they would put a piece of paper on, on the table and they would say, okay, we want you to um, take that piece of paper and wad it up into a ball and then, you know, set it down. Okay, so then they would they would wad up the piece of paper, crumple it up like we've all done a bunch of times and they'd set it down. And then they were looking at various patterns in how the muscle fibers were recruited and then they had people take the the piece of paper that they wadded into a ball and they'd have them try to make a basket by throwing it in the trash. you know whoosh, try, try to you know, make a basket. Mm-hmm. And they were looking at you know the muscle uh, fiber recruitment you know from from you know shooting the the basket and they're, they're comparing all these different things. and they found something really, really, really interesting is when people knew that they were going to wad the piece of paper up and, e- and then eventually throw it into the basket. Like they're going to try to make a basket versus people that were just told to wad the paper up into a ball. They found contrary to what they thought. They found that the muscle fiber recruitment was totally different hmm. in the crumpling process. Not only that, they found that the muscle fiber recruitment was different in the way they reached for the piece of paper to begin with. Wow. So if the person knew they're going to eventually throw the wadded piece of paper into the trash can, like they're making a basket, versus not knowing they're going to try to make a basket, it changed the way they even reached for the piece of paper. That makes sense. It makes sense in retrospect, doesn't it? Like when you look at it, it does.
2: Yeah. Because you'd want to, you'd want to be able to make something that you could comfortably throw. You could feel the shape of it, the weight of it, and and that could seriously affect it's flight through the air. Yeah. So you'd wanna really get to know that paper before you threw it, if you wanted to be very accurate. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that makes sense that you'd be doing some motor planning
1: at a different level. Different intent, right? Because you're you're creating that wad of paper for a different purpose, Mm -hmm. right? But I thought it was interesting that it changed the muscle fiber recruitment even when they reached for the piece of paper before they even started the wadding up process, Mm -hmm. right? And it kind of gets me thinking, Mm -hmm. how different is it to recruit your muscle fibers when you're getting out of bed in the morning to go do something that you want to do versus getting up in the morning to go do something that you don't want to do? Agreed. Right? I've noticed I'm much more likely to feel back pain or hurt myself getting up in the morning if I know I have a very difficult day at work. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going to get up and go fishing or if I'm going to get up and go meet my friends and go do something else that day, getting up in the morning is a different experience, right? Yeah. So, um I think it's worth learning how to be creative at times when um we don't feel creative because we want to use it to heal. We want to use it to change our physiology, mm-hmm. you know, to change the way our body behaves, you know. So,
2: yeah, there are many ways to be creative. I find uh in the work that I do there's so much creativity in it. Now I see that. It's not just, you know, technique or um, knowledge or something like that. There's You're actually creating. You're, you're, you're uh, being thrown in a room with a variety of things, and you don't know what's going to be in that room. But there you are in the room with all those things. Mm. Now you're told, okay, what can you create with that? the things that are in the room? Mm-hmm. And it leaves it wide open. I mean, there are some limitations because it's different stuff each time. But when I have people who come to me privately for, for work or if it's a group project, like a, I don't know, if I'm working for a company and I want to do a presentation or a training or something, each of those situations is kind of like having a set of items that I didn't know would be there until I got there. And I'm told, here, create something mm-hmm. from this. Yeah. And when I run into challenges like questions that I don't know the answer to, it's still the same thing. I, I'm I'm still having to, to decide whether... Um, uh, whether I can focus so much on the question or I can focus on what the question does when I hear it. Okay. Because those are two different things. If i focusing too much on the question there There can be the possibility of feeling nervous like oh what if i don't what if I don't get the answer they need or mm-hmm. you know are they going to lose faith in what they're doing? Are they going to lose faith in themselves? are they going to lose faith in me um, but if i if I just become quiet and I allow the question to sink in, the question itself changes what I experience. I go into a state where I'm getting an imprint that's based on you know, the shape of that question, if you will.
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And what it does inside of me then leads me to something, and I'm actually creating based upon that. So I remember those, um, I can't remember who who the guy was, but he used to take drawings in, they would show Popeye cartoons, and then he would take. Oh, yeah, Tom Hatton?
1: Tom Hatton. Yeah, yeah, Tom Hatton, Popeye. Yeah, Yeah, and he
2: he would get a squiggle. And then he would take that squiggle, and he would have to create one of the characters from it, and he right.
1: did it every time. I know he blew me away every time he yeah. did that, yeah um, that's kind of the situation that I'm in, yeah, oh, I love it you no know, that's that's great, that's great. I feel that way every time I teach a class, yeah, you know, because the material is the material you're not going to re- change the material that much, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit, mm-hmm. right, but there's always a perspective that arises mm-hmm. that is the perspective of an expert Mm -hmm. and good teaching is if you can notice that, Oh wow, I have an interesting perspective that would be very difficult for a novice to see
0: Mm
1: -hmm. how, if I'm a good teacher, how can I get my students to see that same perspective I'm seeing so I can share it with them to go, Hey, you see it that way? No, you don't see it yet. Okay. Keep looking, keep looking. And then kind of go, Oh my God, I see it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whether it's like a strategy for answering a test question, Mm -hmm. you know, or, um, Or how to see something the way a patient would interpret it. You know, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where the the teaching becomes creative. Or else it's just dispensing information. You know, they can Mm -hmm. just read the book themselves.
2: It's funny, you're talking about, you know, how the teacher would, or the client would take it. Yeah. Um, You're getting them to step into the second position. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So we were talking about, um, points of view and, um, you know, perceptual positions
1: Yeah, is what we call it in NLP. Which is a very creative thing to, if you know that that concept exists, then you can start using it in different things in life. And it's amazing how much more creative you feel like you become when you do that.
2: I would say that if you're not doing that at all, I'm going to describe the process in a minute, but uh, if you're not doing this at all in your life on a conscious level, um, you're missing out. You're missing out on a lot. You're, You're missing out on the capacity to have better boundaries. You're missing out on the capacity to be fully present. You're missing out on the capacity to... Uh, explore in a way That could bring you A lot of data That could help you Solve problems And It's just a good thing To know how to do So I'm going to describe it Because yeah. I think You know You can't make a few Statements like that And not give the description Yeah, yeah But So perceptual positions Is kind of like When when they talk about a voice Like first person voice Second person voice It's similar to that In English mm. um, But we're, we're really getting into the consciousness, sort of the psychology part of it. So in first position, this is a position where you are most fully associated into your perspective. So that is, um, to put another way, we're seeing out through our eyes. We're hearing what we're hearing from within our ears, right? We're feeling from within the body. That includes any kind of um, internal feeling, like a visceral Movement of warmth or expansion or metakinesthetic, like an emotion or an actual, you know, tactile kinesthetic thing, like someone's touching you Mm. or, or, or something like that. Um, So in the first position, if you are considering your own needs and your own experience and your, let me, let me change the word consider If you're experiencing your own needs as tactile and real and in the present moment, you are fully in position number one. We use this a lot and and we see um, that people who do this only tend to be people like narcissists
1: Yes, correct, or, like they, or or have no situational awareness. No right? situational awareness. They miss really important details and cues around them. Standing right at the entrance or the exit of a door at the grocery store, blocking everybody's way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, these people are not the best pet owners. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Because the ability to imagine what your dog is feeling in that moment. Yeah or to um, think about your lover or your family member or your friend's point of view, that's already beginning to go into into position number two. Number two, yeah, okay. Because the second position, the second perceptual position is a specific other that you're viewing uh, their vantage point from. So that means you are seeing what they would see. Uh, in, in, in our example, you would be seeing me, right? So I would imagine I'm you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's weird. Seeing yeah. Carlos. <laughs> Notice the, the pronoun switch. Yeah. Because he is the one talking, but I am the one experiencing it through you. Yeah. yeah but yeah, you is actually yeah. me. Right. It gets a little confusing because the pronoun usage is what supports the concentration in my opinion so if you if you if you don't use the right language it pulls you slightly out of that experience okay so when you're in first position it's i when you're in the second position it starts when you start saying you right mm-hmm. but then when you actually switch to that second position your you is referring to the person you once were a yes. moment ago. Your yeah. original body.
1: Yeah, you're once removed
2: from... Yeah, you're once removed. From yourself. And so when I have people do this in the office, when they're describing things, they'll say, um, say he or say your first name. Don't right. say I. Just skip saying I. Yeah. And it does help them to stay focused. It, because what will happen is otherwise is they'll slide in and out of that position because it's kind of hard to maintain. Yeah. But it's such a good thing. You want to learn how to... Switch on your empathy when you need to, mm-hmm. to feel into what another person might be feeling. Then imagine you are that other person, seeing, hearing, and feeling what they're feeling. Yeah. And just do that as often as you can. Yeah. This is really, really great when you want to be considerate, but it's terrible if you have no boundaries, right? So if you have a, if you have a, a person who accidentally slips into a second position, it's not intentional. Mm-hmm. These are the kinds of people who um, are overly worried and checking all the time whether they're okay. Am I okay? Mm. You know,
1: yeah. They're
2: not in their full first position. They're sliding out accidentally and considering other people's points of view. That
1: that's a good point. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: It really shouldn't matter, right? Yeah, Um, if you're secure and safe in yourself. But when you want to view another point of view, another point of view. Let's say you had a conflict. Or let's say it's not a conflict, but you just want to avoid one. Okay. You can imagine being that other person and run through what it would be like, rehearse hearing it as if you were saying it, but mm-hmm. you're on their end receiving it. Yeah, You can learn so much from that about past arguments that you've had. You want to figure out you know, why did they freak out like that? Run the entire thing over again mm-hmm. from their point of view. Yeah, See what you can discover. Because the third position is like a position where you could see both of you. You're a bystander and you are removed once again from, from yourself, so you' even more dissociated. Now, here's the trick to that one. When you're doing this, you have to imagine that you're equidistant at least if you're trying to have control over your level of um, insight. Now, you can choose to be closer or farther away as you see fit, but the key is to make sure that you can consciously be equidistant, no matter whether you're on your left side or the right side or above or below. Okay. You emotionally are so far removed from yourself That it should be easy and no-brainer for you to say, oh, well, I I don't feel anything more for one than the other. They're equal. I'm simply witnessing. This is the position of a witness, right? I'm witnessing what took place, witnessing what words were said. I'm listening to the tone. I'm listening to the volume, the rhythm, the timbre. I'm watching and I'm noticing facial expressions, skin coloration, gestures, distances between them and I'm not really focused in on the kinesthetic part. There might be an auditory digital part. In other words, the inner voice, the mm-hmm. critical analysis part. Yeah. There may be those kinds of observations, neutral observations about okay. things.
1: But less less body feelings.
2: Less body feelings, okay. more uh, spatial distances and um, timing sequences. Yeah. yeah. And then there's a position that's, further out than that, which we sometimes call position number four. And that is like the ability to see yourself seeing yourself. And as you see yourself seeing yourself, you might assist that by seeing it from the ceiling so that you can see that there's more than just that event. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of other things out there because the key to the fourth position, in my opinion, in my experience really, is that, it's your capacity to connect to everything else that is not that. So it's really important that you get good at going into that meta position. Okay. Really meta. What's the big picture here? And big picture thinking is what sometimes people think of as wise thinking. Like, so you want a flash of insider wisdom, think big picture. How does this relate ecologically to everything else? And, who am I when I'm in this position where I can actually witness that? Mm-hmm. Because if you successfully do that, you will notice that it's a different level of functioning. It's a different state. Yeah. And of course, you're even more removed. So can you think of something where that would be really, really useful to, to be that removed from and still observed? Mm-hmm. What about trauma? Yeah, totally. Yeah, Sometimes being a a third person isn't far enough for whatever reason that is uh, that trauma is like this unprocessed experience that a person needs to be in a fourth position to be able to even acknowledge because it's just too much. Mm -hmm. So it's really useful. Yeah. Um, Plus it allows you to tap into the kinds of quantum leaps of understanding that That can really only happen when you go meta like that. Now, if you practice going into, you know, fully into your first position, being totally present and mindful, fully associated, dissociating and reassociating into another person, position number two, and then dissociating from position number two and being in position number three, a neutral witness. Observing and then dissociating from position number three into position four, which is everything else that is not that. Hmm. And includes so much more. And you could decide that from that place, I'm going to take everything that I'm learning from this position. And I'm going to bring it with me as I go into the third, into the second, and then back into the first You've just created a line of connection for information to flow into your present awareness. And most people who do this exercise and actually take their time to do it report back to me, wow, that changed everything Mm. about how I experienced that. Yeah. Yeah. And I no longer feel a conflict. And I now understand why it happened. And now I feel differently about it. Mm -hmm. So it really does change your brain yeah yeah
1: yeah it does changes your whole way of thinking you know um as you were describing this especially when you got towards the end you know um about about a third position and then and then everything and then like i guess a fourth position which Mm -hmm. is sort of like everything that's not that right Mm -hmm. that really got me um picturing hive mentality Mm -hmm. right There, Mm -hmm. there there's an individual bee. And there are a few other bees around the bee that see the bee. Mm-hmm. But then there's this collective consciousness of the entire hive, yeah. right? And what's powerful, the bee or the hive? Mm-hmm. It's the, the hive is powerful. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, sure. And, and, and the individual bee has the power of the hive mm-hmm. when it's connected to the power of the hive. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that, that's what I love. It's, first of all, this is a creative way of seeing ourselves and our situations and everything that we're around you know, um, we are the Borg resistance is futile. Yes. Your uniqueness shall be added to our own. Yes. We are the Borg resistance <laughs> is futile. Right. <laughs> the strength of the wolf is the pack and the strength yeah. of the pack is the wolf. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, oh, I love it. I love it. Um, it's, it's such a cool, um, and powerful way of doing it. And you, you and I have, uh, I just sort of naturally absorbed some of this from a lot of the work that you and I have done and mm-hmm. the conversations that we have and, uh-huh. and, and, and all of that. But, um, this is something that I do a lot, and it's something that I even um, can I, I'll, I'll even find myself assisting other people to do it just in the the way I structure a sentence. Mm. You know, um, Maybe there's some tension between me and a client or a student, right? And by suddenly thinking of me, them, the whole situation, the entire medical field, the entire educational field, right? mm-hmm. boom, 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 you're already there. And it doesn't take very much practice, Mm-mm. just a little bit of practice yep. to start getting good at pushing your perspective out farther and farther and farther. Then suddenly you're like, oh my goodness, here's a solution. There's something I could propose this is a question I could ask that might get them to think about something else that might cause them to pose a solution that I'm not thinking of. Mm -hmm. And I thought that sounds a little crazy, what I just said. Um, but when you have the whole hive working on a problem, it's only inevitable that you're going to get all these different ideas and all these different perspectives and, and how to solve the problem. We need to access the hive mind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no,
2: it's true. Um, what, if not hive mind, is, is you know, ecological thinking, right? You're thinking of yeah. systems working within systems, working within systems, and how it all affects mm-hmm. each other, how they're all interrelated. So, so yeah, and, and you're right. It isn't that hard if you practice it. That's why I say, like, this is one of those hacks that, you know, you don't have to be um, a master of, you know, NLP or hypnosis or meditation or any of that stuff to practice this technique. You can get really good at it with, you know, very little um, in the way of repetition. I mean, you, you, you practice this, you know, 10 or 20 times and you're like, good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it makes sense yeah. that you do it. In fact, uh, I think that along with um, teaching the voices in grade school, they should have kids learn this more, as an exercise. Mm-hmm. Because think about what happens when a kid, you know, steals the ball. Yeah, and then ruins it for the other kids. Obviously, they're not thinking about position number two. Yeah, and they're definitely not thinking about position number three, and they're probably not thinking about position four either.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So totally. If yeah. you're gonna ask an eco, uh, if you're gonna check ecology, it means in NLP when you say check ecology, you mean uh, to say that you should ask yourself, how is this change or decision um, going to affect my body, myself, my relationships at home, like my family, my friendships, uh, my position at work, you know, my ability to produce income, uh, my position on this planet as a human being? in relation to all the other living things. So ecology check is, is one of the safeguards when it comes to knowledge and decision-making and empowerment, because as you gain power, if you don't want to harm and create wounds and unnecessary damage, then you have to check ecology before you do anything. Yeah.
1: I love that. Um, It's the same. If you're being creative, yeah, yeah, and 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 that is a creative process of mm-hmm. seeing where you fit into everything. You know, we're talking about hive mentality. Mm-hmm. The Stoic philosophers, right, would yeah. say, "What harms the hive harms the bee." Yeah, and and you know, uh, you steal something from society you have actually harmed the hive, mm-hmm. which harms the individual bee, which harms you. Mm-hmm. And it takes some advanced, it's, it's not that advanced, but it takes just a little bit of advanced thinking to see that, you know? And, and what's funny is some cultures are going to, um, you know, I, I would say it this way. Each culture has their skill at seeing a piece of the hive at seeing the, the entire ecology, Mm -hmm. right? One of the things that happens in, um, in our culture here in the United States, especially Southern California, right? Is there's, we are very good at individualism and that's something that we need to be able to see. The hive needs to see that there are individual bees. That's Mm -hmm. part of being creative too. And then the bee needs to see the entire hive. And that's also creativity. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And um, you know, It always amazes me when I meet somebody from a different place or when I was younger and I traveled and went to different places, some of the things that blew my mind at, like I went all my life and I never realized this concept or realized this thing and it was sitting there the whole time, Mm -hmm. right? Because I never saw it because I just needed a completely different perspective to see something, Mm -hmm. you know? Like opening a banana from the other end, from the way that we do it here in California, we open the difficult end of the banana, and in other cultures they open the easy end of the banana. I'm like, you can open a banana from the other end. Yeah, you know, (laughs) you know, it's like, well, how smart is that? Yeah, you know, just, just funny how that works, you know. Well, yeah, um, opening it up from
2: a different end as you open up that peel. Think about. some experience that you had that was less than positive. Okay. When you change perceptual positions, you're opening that banana peel from the other end. Yeah. You know, you're seeing that you can get to it differently. Yeah. And um, we we all have the capacity to have a visceral experience, a reaction to anything that is really uncomfortable, anything we have an aversion to. Mm-hmm. If it was something really, really tragic and traumatic, or just something that you really didn't like, you still have a um, kind of an encoded experience that is that thing. Yeah. And when you, if you were to imagine going to re-experience that or to recall those events, there may be a part of you that recoils. At the thought of that. No, I don't want to remember. No, I don't want to see it. Yeah. Or you'll skip past certain things. You'll avoid going there. And that's because there is a visceral encoded reaction that's associated with that thing. And you can see people moving, like gesticulating with their body or, or tightening up or becoming mm-hmm. asymmetrical or turning their body or wincing their face when... You see them going through that, yeah. And it's something you can witness um, just in general out in life. Sometimes you're having a conversation with someone and you ask them a question, and they don't filter that question the, the normal way, like by avoiding it. They maybe they go there mentally, and suddenly you see them react that way. And that's a person who hasn't realized how to take control of those boundaries. But with the skill that is gained from doing the perceptual. Positions exercise. You can start to learn how to feel where those boundaries are. Where, um, where is that line? How close can you view that event before it feels unbearable? And if you were to wind back a little bit, like you know, pan back with the camera, is there a place that looks like a safe distance? By mm. safe distance, meaning you're not getting a strong visceral discomfort moving through your body. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, And just doing that exercise alone by changing those distances, people can discover that they do have some control over how they feel, Mm -hmm. that they're not controlled by everything. Like every one of the experiences they've had has happened to them. And it's, it, you know, it doesn't feel like that anymore. They start to feel like, no, it's not happening to me. I can control how this movie in my mind is playing. I'm the director of this film.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So now I can use this, and um, maybe from one angle, I might see the distance between me and that terrible thing. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, okay, well, this is a safe distance. Now I know I can be, you know, within 40 feet or 100 feet of this yeah. thing. What I'll do is I'll say, okay, well, then change to the other side. Okay. And imagine the reverse image. So you're on the other side of that experience. How close can you get to it there? Okay. And once you know what that is, you just say, well, what's the difference between this place and that place? Is there anything different about it? And naturally, Hmm. the answer has to be yes. Yeah. How could it be the same? You're not on the same side. Yeah.
1: That is so creative. The orientation is different.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So you may not necessarily know what to say, how to describe the difference, but you mm-hmm. can certainly your nervous system knows it's different; otherwise, you wouldn't be standing on the opposite side.
1: You know, as you were describing this, um, uh, I was just thinking of a particular time in my life when I was going to college to study acupuncture, mm-hmm. and 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 I realize I do have certain angles in which I picture the school and the yeah. people walking in and out of the building, and I realize, wait a minute what if I enti- experienced my entire education there from some outside top corner, the outside of the building and watched the entire, you know, three years mm-hmm. go by from up there. Yes. That's a very, that feels very different. Very, 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 very different. Well, if
2: awareness is the word that we use to describe our capacity to witness experiences, and awareness is wherever your attention is at that moment. Does the other aspects that you're not detecting in that moment, does it still exist? It's kind yeah. of like the thing we were saying earlier about the flower and the trees in the forest. Yeah. If they're not appreciated. Yeah. I mean, for me, when I hear that question, I think, well, yeah, of course it is. I'm just not paying attention to it, yeah. it exists, yeah, but if I'm not paying attention to it, that means there's some awareness that I'm not aware of
1: mm-hmm. that's yeah.
2: happening. In other words, there's a there's a um, there's a shape to what it is that is my attention. Mm-hmm. If I were to really concentrate it, when I say I, me saying, I am happy, well, there's the feeling happy. Then there's the I, which is, um, you know, my my individual consciousness, mm-hmm. which is doing that happiness, right? Happy is is a state, right? But the state yeah. is consisting of a doing. It's it's a process that I'm yeah. doing. So, who is the driver of that action? That's I. How do I know what is I and what is not I?
1: Hmm. Yeah.
2: So we're talking about hive mind, right? Yeah. So. There's I and then there's not I. That would include everything that's not just I. Yeah. So then if I even have a concept of the not I and I have a concept of the I, that means my consciousness is partly in the not I
1: yeah. already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got there's gotta be some of it there at least. Right. Right.
2: At some level. Mm-hmm. So you know, follow with me for for a moment, because if you were to then really get a sense of a description of what the I shape felt like, like where are you What's the shape of the eye? What does it feel like the shape of the eye is? Then you could tune into what that feels like viscerally. Like for me, I would say, okay, at the moment, um, as I say I, we're always talking about the moment right now, whenever Mm -hmm. you ask the question. Yeah. Um, I'm sensing the eye is a little bit to the left and inside my head. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a not so clear, blotchy shape. I can picture it in my mind, and it goes down uh, behind the back of my neck, and it goes, it, but inside still, mm-hmm. it goes down behind the chest, and, and it's kind of like centered in the uh, the core of my body. Right,
1: and that's like you're you're describing your. Your kinesthetic feeling of the shape and location of yes. this thing that you call kinesthetic
2: I. and visual sense.
1: Yeah, and I could go into more
2: description. I could say, you know, that there was certain sets of colors I was seeing when I was there. Um, there was a, a density that I could describe, um, a temperature I could get into mm-hmm. that description. But at the end of the day, where was I observing that from? If I could see the shape. From which vantage point was I seeing that shape that I just described? Mm -hmm. That's yet another eye, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: We're talking, I mean, about something that's related to wholeness work. It's another um, development from uh, uh, Connie Ray Andreas, who's a a famous uh, NLP NLP, um, practitioner, brilliant woman. Um, But she describes this wholeness process as... Um, partly, the identification of these awarenesses of the eye, these various eyes, mm-hmm. and the integration with the larger whole. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful and powerful experience, wow, of, okay. of oneness okay. because when you if you were to you know, create this uh, association from eye to eye to eye, you can eventually run out of any eyes. Mm-hmm. and you can ask, that you just allow yourself to become everything that is this other eye and this other eye and this other eye and this other eye until you know ad infinitum mm-hmm. until you just become in and through yourself through the body and all around the body and beyond the body and expanded into everything that is at some point, it ceases to have any words. It ceases to have any pictures. Yeah. It ceases to have anything other than um, a oneness experience. I would describe that as like a a blissful peace that is expanded and still.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what it feels like to me. I was trying to do it as you were describing it, and and I actually reached a point where I just I got a shiver down my spine. Yeah. We're just like, "Oh my wow, you know so it's powerful, yeah, yeah, that really is.
2: I mean, I think it's kind of like connected to the perceptual positions because you have to know that that's possible, yeah, in order to do the the integration of of yourself right these higher levels of self
1: This is a good self th- I was going to say this is a good time to kind of come full full circle mm-hmm. This is a good time to come full circle mm. We were talking about where does creativity come from? Mm-hmm. Comes from there. Yeah. Right? Like you, that. you you keep going back through those eyes, those eyes and you you almost just become this whatever that this is thing, right? And it's like yeah. that's where it comes from. So how could you not be creative mm-hmm. if all that just comes right back into this present moment looking out your own eyes? Right? You have all that yeah. that created all this. Right. Is going to go into whatever this poem is you're going to write or whatever this work idea is whatever this PowerPoint is going to be Mm. you know um, seems so small and easy to tackle that way it does yeah Mm. what am I going to squeeze into my drink what am I going to cook for dinner tonight
0: you've been listening to the authenticity show with your hosts Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. My name is Oliver Altine. I produced the show, and I also wrote our theme song, which you're listening to right now. Please connect with us on social media, and you can find our website at authenticityshow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.